0: Hey now, welcome back to the Drupal Easy Podcast. My name is still Mike Anello, and this is the last episode of Season 14. So this is Episode 6. After this, we're going to take a few months off. We're going to get our ducks in a row. We're going to get Season 15 all planned out, and then we'll come back strong with a new set of episodes for Season 15. So this episode concludes Season 14, which uh, is themed as a how-to series of episode, where we've, each episode so far, we've learned how to do something, and this episode's going to be no different, where we talk about our oldest, or one of our oldest Drupal friends, Ryan Price, on how to start a Drupal project the right way. So, talking to Ryan is always fun and educational, so we'll get to that in a second, but before we do, let me tell you about Drupal Easy's Long Form Training Courses. Now our beginner-focused class is called Drupal Career Online. That's 12 weeks long, twice a week, office hours, and a whole lot of other benefits of the Drupal Easy Learning Community. That begins on February 13th. If you wanna learn more about it, one of the best ways to do that is to attend one of our upcoming free Taste of Drupal webinars. These are one hour long, and they are basically designed to answer all of your questions about Drupal Career Online. Next, we have our newest long-form course called Professional Module Development. Uh, The full version is over 90 hours of curriculum, but it's already started. Lucky for you, the light version begins February 14th. Um, It cuts out a few topics. It's a few weeks shorter, um, and it will save you a few bucks as well. So check that out if you're interested in hopping into professional module development. You can learn more about that at drupaleasy.com slash PMD. Welcome back, Ryan, to the Drupaleasy podcast. Um, I believe we've had you on the podcast before. Just
1: just a few times. Just just maybe few like two or 200 or so times, something <laughs> like that.
0: Yeah, so uh, welcome to the new format. We're calling this season fourteen. Do you know why I'm calling this season fourteen?
1: Because it's better than season thirteen.
0: Well, because this is uh, the fourteenth. It's been fourteen years since we started the podcast. You and I. Fourteen and
1: years party. since the old the old days of we didn't even have a Drupal meetup in Florida. Yeah. In the whole state of Florida, and and
0: now look at where we are. Look at where we are. Exactly. The greatest Drupal camp there is, exists in Florida. I mean, that's,
1: um, yeah, it's, it's put that on the business cards.
0: Yeah. I'm sure Herschel already has four or five sparkly stickers that already say that, that he's just waiting to release. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Hey, let's uh, let's talk about how to start a Drupal project the right way. I know that you will have thoughts about this and I have thoughts about this. And so let's just dive right into it. Well,
1: so one one thing I can say about like starting a Drupal project is the place where I'm sitting right now professionally has me answer that question in a certain way that maybe I wouldn't have a few years ago. So I actually work at a Drupal agency and we have a tool that is an open source tool But people that are on our team develop that tool. It's called Doxel. Um, So one of the first things I think about is, is there a a Doxel file for this project? And I think for you, maybe that would be something like, is there a DDEV file for this project?
0: Right. But I'm telling you right now there isn't because this is a brand new project. Brand new project. We're starting it. Greenfield site.
1: Yes. So yeah, one of the first things that I think about is, which way, then am I going to host this on my laptop or am I going to host this on some sort of a development server? Like that's, for me, that's one of the first things I think about because if I don't have a working site, if I don't have a place where I can like import config, export config, save to Git, then I can't do any of the rest of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So it sounds like you're saying that there are some projects that you aren't developing locally.
1: Um, it is possible. It's not very common, but like, um, not every single project that I work on do I need to have a local copy of it. I just sort of need to like go check in on something. But if it's like if it's a brand new project, somebody somebody is going to set up a local environment for this.
0: Okay, so let's call that step one: set up a local environment for the project. Yep. Is that fair? That that's step one, or is there another step one? Maybe that's step
1: two i would i would also hope that we knew like where are we going to eventually be hosting this because part of that like setting up the local environment can sometimes also be like download your pantheon secret key or your aquia you know credentials and like do the little like terminus thing or the ac a aqcli i forget what the actual command is but like the little thing yeah. <laughs> thingamajigs that you might have to do there and if, you, if it's not either of those um just like figuring out is there anything that you can do with your web host so that when you eventually want to download your database and suck it back to, into your local that it will be easier to do that at some point if there's anything you can do at this stage if there's anything you definitely
0: know about it I like to do it now right right so maybe step 1 is you know if possible determine hosting cuz that is going to inform how you're going to set up the code base initially
1: right like for example pantheon wants you to put things in the web folder some places might want you to put them in the public folder or the public underscore html folder like right some of those really basic things like your your hosting provider may have an opinion about they may not right
0: what else is like up there the first you know the first day on a new project uh what else are you thinking about
1: composer create project
0: the composer template that you're starting with
1: yeah, exactly that. So I think lately I've pretty much always used the Drupal recommended setup. There's very few cases when you really need to do the, the Drupal I forget what it's called, but the the like development version. Like unless you're running like Drupal ten beta. Right. Will you need to do something like
0: that? Yeah.
1: And even maybe by the time this comes out, will Drupal ten beta be a thing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there is, I mean, like if you're hosting on Pantheon and you're using their like integrated composer, you actually start the site in the Pantheon environment.
1: Right. Yeah. You have to start it on Pantheon and then download the the, the Git in order to get there. sort of like right. pre setup up file stuff.
0: Yep. 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 All right. So you have the code base. Let's say you've determined the hosting. You've 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 got the composer create project stuff going. You've decided your local development environment, whether it's you know DDEV, Doxel, Lando, something else. You install, you know, do a Drupal install somewhere, either remotely or you do it on your local. Um, and now you're staring at like a you know the installation screen. Do you start, Mister Price? Do you start with a standard install or the minimal install? Pretty typically standard. Yeah.
1: I don't really have a lot of times where I'm like, no, I don't want the node module turned on or something like that.
0: Well, but okay. You do have to
1: like, you have to turn off like comments, right? I think that's one of the ones that's still kind of like a questionable for me is like contact forms. Comments are turned on by default. Contacts are turned on by default, but like most of the other defaults I'm happy to have.
0: All right. Interesting. Interesting. Going with standard. All right. And then what? So you get it all installed. What's next?
1: Probably very, very first one is admin toolbar. Probably also, I would say Devel is going to be in there as well. Like, do I always need to have Devel? No, but a lot of projects that I work on, we will eventually write custom code. So like, let's get it. In addition to Devel is um, the the PHP coding style and um, PHP code beautifier and fixer. So like, I think I think when you download Devel, it's going to in, include those things. But um what I what I do know is I will set those up early. PHP C S and um and PHP CBF to make sure that when I want to do something where I want to check the code style, that I have them available to me in that environment. On one project I used recently, there was a tool that we used that was called Grumpy PHP, which kind of like includes a bunch of these different tools together. But the two ones that I really pay attention to the most is PHP-CS, which is coding style, and PHP-CBF, which is the code beautifier and fixer. So if PHP-CS can find the issue, then PHP-CBF can fix the issues that are obvious, the ones that are like automated can, can be fixed. And in one of the reasons why you need to have some of the Drupal specific tools is PHPCS doesn't know what Drupal's coding style is by default. It doesn't know how to like fix things to look like the Drupal coding style by default, but it's nice to have an opinion. So I like the Drupal one just fine. And if I do end up having to put something into a contributed module, then I know that I'm going to be doing it in the Drupal style with two spaces with else and if being one word, um, a space after an if statement, you know, uh, spaces between um, a string, the dot to concatenate things, things like that. So.
0: All right. So we have admin toolbar, Devel, our PHP tools. Yep. Anything else that kind of goes in that first pass, that first day?
1: I mean, the very first day, I might just then start thinking about some other things, but pretty soon um, I'm gonna start thinking about search engine optimization. So things like Path Auto, the redirect module, and the meta tag module will almost always go into my, you know, sort of like standard toolkit. And then there's very few sites that I work on when we don't need some sort of a form. So typically that is web form, unless the client has a specific tool that they don't need web form, um, some other sort of third-party form plugin. but usually we're putting in web form for something. Um, Because even sites that don't have any logged in user traffic, they're going to have a form somewhere. Contact us. Contact us about this particular file that you want to download or, um, hey, I just finished watching the video. Now I want to find out more. Who do I get in touch with? There's always... If if your website's not collecting information, I don't really know what is your website doing. <laughs> At some point, somebody needs to get to that that form and say, "I'm ready to make a buying decision."
0: All right, so you've got like your basic modules installed, maybe enabled. You've kind of got the uh, you know the the initial Drupal core code base. Now it's time to set up your repository and I think i 'm mainly talking about your your dot mm-hmm. so what would you recommend for folks who are building or starting with a brand new project are there are you just do you look at it more of just like the standard stuff if you 're committing dependencies or not committing dependencies or are there any other are there any kind of tips and tricks with setting up the git ignore that that you 've learned over the years
1: yeah i mean I think like the nice thing is, as we have evolved the the sort of Drupal core recommended and like, you know, sort of like later stage Drupals really do come with a nice default for a lot of things that you would want to do in your gitignore file. Um, again, like your hosting provider may, may publish either a sample gitignore or um, a documentation page where they will also say, Hey, we recommend that you include the following things in your Gitignore file or structure your directories in a certain way. But for me, I don't like to have to check in Drupal core contributed modules and the vendor folder. And actually, checking in the vendor folder, I was talking to somebody recently and they were having a problem where they weren't able to download like a new version of a module and they couldn't figure out why. And I said, delete your vendor folder. And then after they deleted their vendor folder, it worked. Because there's a couple of files in that vendor folder that are like, they're not as hard and fast as the composer lock file, but like you definitely want to hang on to that composer lock file. But then there's some other files that happen in the, in the vendor folder that composer generates that if you don't know they're there and you might want to clear them out sometimes, then
0: you can get stuck. And they could be dependent on the 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 hardware. Yeah, from which they were created as well.
1: Right. Which version of PHP are you on and, you know, what's your local environment and some other things like that? Like you don't really want to keep anything in that vendor folder. You treat it like you can remove everything in
0: that folder and and re-download it all. So, let me get your opinion on something that I've been asked about a lot. Scaffolding files. Do you consider those? I mean, they are technically part of Drupal core, but do you generally add those to the .gitignore or do you generally check those in to the repo?
1: Are you talking about like the readme file and the maintainer's text and that kind of stuff?
0: Index.php, update.php, robots, htaccess, all that. All the Drupal core files that exist outside of the core directory.
1: So I would say robots and htaccess, more typically, yes, we are checking those in. Mm -hmm. But...
0: The rest you add to uh, Gitignore?
1: I would say, yeah, you don't – actually, like, if you expose maintainers.txt and for some reason your hosting is set up to allow people to see text files – actually, there was a very recent thing that showed up on online, the Tesla Motors website.
0: Yes, I saw you that. You could
1: see their, their Gitignore file, was it?
0: Something like and that. And
1: so – um, you know, some snoopers coming by and maybe they didn't know this was a Drupal site. It's pretty easy to tell that it was a Drupal site, but maybe there's some sort of a hint in there that, that you originally created this during the Drupal 8.2 days. And maybe you've upgraded since then, but maybe you haven't. Um, I've actually come across a site that was on Drupal 8.2, I think, that was a publicly available website that somebody wasn't updating. And we know there's certain you know, vulnerabilities that exist there, like maybe not easy to exploit unless you have a logged in user, et cetera, et cetera. But the fewer hints that you can give out to people, exactly what version of Drupal you're running, exactly what version of what module you're running, right? generally it's a good idea. So um, something like a maintainers.txt, if that ends up being readable by your server, can give away a
0: lot. <laughs> right. So I actually, I the answer I normally give is I take a two-pronged approach to this. Number 1, I use the scaffolding plugin, the Drupal core scaffolding plugin settings to not even, you know, generate stuff like maintainers.txt. It's very easy to to add, you have to add some some settings in the extras section of your composer.json file and you can basically tell the scaffolding plugin, you know, I don't need maintainers, I don't need this file, I don't need that one. So you can make it so that, you know, those files never end up outside of the core directory. And granted, yes, they are buried in the core directory in that assets directory, but they're not in their, their usual place. And then I generally will add everything else to the ignore unless it's modified, customized. And the two files that you mentioned are those, you know, it's normally robots.txt and also sometimes htaccess for 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 uh my clients. But that's normally like a day one task for me. Yeah. Is get that stuff set up and get my repository so it's nice and clean and and stuff like that. How about like these these day one tasks? How about like common rookie mistakes?
1: Well, I would say um or even things that are like they seem confusing when you're first getting going is like you can set up in your settings.php the sort of like Uh, I forget what the specific name of it is, but the allowed domains, right? Like the domain name where you expect this site to show up. If you only put in your main like .com domain in there, it's going to break stuff. So you may also want to be very quickly setting up a a local settings PHP that you don't check in, right? That you're going to get ignore that will only exist on your laptop. And then if, if, for me, anytime that I go ahead and do something like that, then I will usually create a folder that is outside the web root, but somewhere in my project where I have a, sort of like a clean copy of that file, right? So let's say that my local site is, you know, drupaleezy.com, but I have a, a dev version, which is drupaleezy.ddev or easy.doxel, something mm-hmm. along those lines. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I can keep that in a local file. So if for some reason I have to give somebody else a copy of the code base, I can include some instructions in the readme file or maybe even as a script that goes along with my my local Docker setup that will take that file, copy it into the correct directory right? so that their local laptop responds to the correct domain name and doesn't give weird errors on the screen right. when somebody's trying to access the dev site.
0: I wouldn't qualify. That's not so much a rookie mistake. That's more of just like a... A good teammate type of situation.
1: Um, You know, and uh, making sure that you don't check in any of your local database credentials into the settings.php file.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. I think that's
1: a good one. Um, (laughs) Gets up to the server and now maybe it'll get confused depending on if you have set it up correctly with your hosting provider. Um, Again, some of this stuff is kind of hosting provider specific, but...
0: How about other things that you, you know, and I think you've hit a lot of them because I know most of the projects you work on are obviously team projects,
1: but yeah, I would even say like something simple, like setting up the site name or the administrator email address. Yeah. Like it's one of those things when you're going through install, you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. But if you never kind of go back and go back to that like basic setting page and just be like site name and email address or user one email address. Yeah, that can really come back like two or three months later, and you're like, you've done all this stuff, and then all of a sudden somebody comes by and they're like, "What's wrong with this?" And uh, you know, you you have to have that egg on face moment of like, "Well, I didn't do this on the very first day because I was in a hurry, or yeah, I yeah. you know just forgot about it or whatever." Um, so that could be one to to check.
0: I've actually been on projects with other folks um, where none of us know the user ID one. Username, well, username, but password. So you know when we always just copy the database down to local and use, you know, drush ULI and and, and reset it every time. I, I think the day the common rookie mistake is setting it that UID password to something like admin.
1: Oh yeah. Do not set it to something that can be found in a password dictionary. Yeah. Yeah. Even like, if it's like even use if it's a use, password generator.
0: Yeah, please. even if you think it's only on your local um you know if unless it's like a throwaway site for yourself give it a real password for sure absolutely and stuff like that can slip through the cracks so easily. i
1: saw something recently that like if you have a password that is shorter than 12 characters you might as well not even have a password
0: it's <laughs> <That's> so depressing <laughs>
1: But I think once you get up to around like 21 to 24 characters and you have to have like not just, you know, like all lowercase letters, but like
0: yeah.
1: some lowercase letters, some uppercase letters, whatever, then, you know, it starts to be a lot harder to crack unless it's somehow a common like monkey monkey one. Like it doesn't <laughs> matter what, what sort of combination of whatever, like don't use monkey monkey one right. as your admin password. It doesn't matter how many letters and underscores and characters and whatever you stick in there. It's probably everybody's thought of every possible version of that. But the thing where you can put three words together, so like, you know, snail, bear, and you know, canoe, which is none of those is in my password, <laughs> but something like that. And then you stick one special character in there and maybe one capital letter and uh, one number, like that gets to be essentially unbreakable you know before the heat death of the universe so your password generator can generate something like that and that's something you can easily read to someone over the phone so it doesn't need to be like uppercase lowercase special oh character dollar sign whatever it's Like it can just be something kind of simple but even your own password
0: stuff like that i use a password generator for everything and it makes my family mental when they need like the <laughs> netflix password yeah i'm like here you go <laughs> It's like it's like this 30-character string of random letters, numbers, punctuation. But, you yeah, know, the, one,
1: the ones where you basically just have like three words that you could read out loud is, as long as you
0: don't just use the words themselves, like you, you can get really far with those. Yeah, but they don't feel secure to me. They don't feel. I know that they probably are, but they just don't feel. All right, anyway, let's climb out of that rabbit hole real quick. So I've talked to like a lot of the technical things you do to start a project, right? But I know you have feelings about this, this uh, Ryan. So how about more just from a, 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 a working with the client, looking at the big picture of their project, like what are some things that you want to make sure are in place before you start the actual technical side of it?
1: Right. And, and for me, like I start asking these questions before anybody actually signs a contract so like this is a really big part of my job me specifically that i get involved and i say okay what problem are you trying to solve by having this website and how are you going to know if this website is successful and these can be really hard questions to answer and like it it seems like what what do you mean what what is the answer to this question we need to tell people about our stuff but like If you don't know whether or not your project that you just spent all this time and potentially money on is doing what you expected it to, you should be like, we need, we need to do more. Well, more of what, where are you now? And how will you, will you be happy if you get 5% more, 10% more, what's, what is considered successful for you? Or this is too slow. We need it to be faster. How much faster? You know, is there a, is there a point when you'll say, Oh, we've, we've gotten fast enough, you know? So there's like things that you need to to decide on. And, and beyond that, what are we measuring? Right. Exactly. And, you know, people have gotten really kind of skeeved out about analytics and you're tracking me, but like at a, some other level, you kind of need to be able to say from the business perspective, like, yeah, it was worth it to do this project. So it does It does make sense to think about these things. And then for me, it's like, what is the most important problem that this website is solving? So let's say that it's Airbnb, right? Airbnb is the most important problem they're trying to solve is which city should I stay in? No, right? You generally know where you wanna go before you hit a site like that. You say, I need to go to Seattle. I need to go to Athens, Georgia. Right, wherever it happens to be, I'm going to be there from this day to this day. You know those things sort of before you arrive at the site. So they're not trying to solve that problem for you. Now, they, Airbnb specifically, like they do kind of have this sort of like browse and discover feature, but that wasn't the first thing they built. The first, the very first thing they built was I'm going to this city on this day and I need a place to stay. And how's the fastest that we can solve that problem for you? so that you will give us your money and and then be happy that you did so, right? Everything else is just a funnel to that point. Exactly. Like everything else is just wrapping paper. Yeah, exactly. So if you can do that thing, um, people will throw around this word MVP, and it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, um, the minimum viable product. But essentially, like if your website cannot do that one thing, then don't bother, right? Like figure out what that thing is and put a giant flag and say, before we really sort out anything else, we need to figure out how to do that. Like you can talk all day long about, I'm going to use some old references here. We need a flash player and we need some, you know, video embeds and we need some sliders. And, you know, we need to to make everything mobile friendly and accessible and like, yes, you do. But you got to figure out what's the critical path for your customer to be able to go and do something. And to me, the content type that I build first, the ticket that I assign first, um, after get set up with your local environment, is always going to be something on that critical path. And on the projects where you really need so many other things in order to complete the critical path, those ones can feel really, really frustrating until you can get all of those ducks in a row. Like, oh, well, we're waiting on the outside vendor to give us the database so that we can do the thing with the other thing.
0: And <laughs> you know,
1: the legacy system hasn't been upgraded to the Java virtual machine of the newest thing yet. And the Oracle database is down. And those are the ones that I, I really dread sometimes, but also some of the ones that present some of the most interesting challenges. is like, how can I get as much of that funnel sorted out on my end so that all I'm doing is waiting for someone else? So so figuring out those sort of most important things. Like the blog posts are usually not the most important things unless it's a news site, right? The podcast episodes, as much as I love podcasting and, and listening to podcasts, unless the podcast is the product, it's usually more of part of the wrapping paper, really, right? Like on, on Drupal Easy... I would say the the thing that you're hoping that people will get is to sign up for a class. Right? Sure. The thing that you're hoping that people will get is to download one of your your ebooks, you know, reading a blog post and then getting to the end of the blog post and going, All right, this is neat. What else can I see that's here? You know?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: That's all part of the funnel.
0: So I the I don't even know if it's a question that I have here, but Sometimes, when you're in a team environment working for an agency, you're not in a position to be asking those questions, though, right? Like, you might be the person starting the project from a code standpoint, right? But you may not be the one who has the, and I'll just say, authority to actually have that conversation with the client. So, how do you, you know, how do you solve for that when? Right.
1: I mean, if, if, if somebody starts telling you like the first thing we're going to build is the homepage, unless it's a very highly specific sort of like landing page type of a site, I think they're probably doing it wrong. You know, I mean, at some level, right. To talk about like, how do we measure success of the project for some people, they cannot even start to think about that until they can actually see a whole complete page. So I understand that desire. And so some of it really has to come down to like training of the client on behalf of whoever you're interfacing. You know, usually if you're not the one who gets to make that decision, then there's probably someone in between you and the client. Right. And so that project manager, that account manager, that salesperson, like that's their job to set the expectation with the client in the first place. Right. But if somebody tells you work on the homepage first, you might have other issues. (laughs) To go back to, I would like to sort of like call back to something we said earlier, like what are some of the first contributors you have installed? On my list is web form, right? Because a lot of sites, the point of conversion is filling out that form,
0: Yep.
1: right? The, the end of the funnel is is that point. Like that's as far as the website can take you in a lot of cases, unless it's an e-commerce site or unless, you know, it's a membership driven site or something along those lines where once you become a member, then you can be doing some other activity, seems to me that like creating your first post on a membership driven site could be considered a conversion, like setting up an account, you may not actually be committed yet. But once you create a comment, once you create a new blog post or upload a new video or share a story or whatever it is, like then you can consider yourself to be finished so, but yeah, from, from when you're trying to like work with the client and somebody's asked you to work on a thing that you feel like is unimportant as the first thing, sometimes there is a reason for that. Sometimes there is a plan for that. Sometimes it's because, well, we are waiting for this other thing to happen. But it should, it should at least be like a little bit of a flag in your brain if, if somebody says, okay, the way that you buy things on this site is X and you don't have to build that X first unless there is some mitigating circumstance.
0: Right. All right. Let's um, let's start to wrap things up here. Do you have any horror stories?
1: About setting up a project?
0: Well, or where you came onto a project that already existed that was set up really poorly, we'll say.
1: Well, I would say a lot of the ones that I can think of are where there's no instructions, right? So... Pretty early on in my um, setup is also writing a README file, even for a project that I set up for myself. Oh yeah, if it's a, if it's better. a personal project and I don't give myself a README file, then I'm going to be mad at myself later. Yes. Why did you do this? To Why didn't you write down at least like five notes about what was set up? And so if somebody else doesn't do that for me, I have the same thought. I'm like, if I was doing this for you and I didn't give you this file, I would expect you to give me an angry email and be like, hey, I don't know what's step one, step two, and step three. You should at least say, all right, you know, I'm going to use the doxel commands because those are the ones that are fresh in my brain. Mm -hmm. Fin init, right? Right. Fin db import and fin start. I should at least tell you that you need those three commands. You need to put your database into this directory and then run this command. Right. And if you can't tell me those things and expect for the site to show up at this URL, just put those things into a little tiny text file. You sound like you a know, jilted and lover, Ryan. Oh. <laughs> or if your site is expecting to be set up at a very particular URL, sure. and I don't know what that is, and I try to visit the site, because I just set it up how I think it should be set up, and all of a sudden I get redirected off to some other place on the internet, and then I need a VPN access to get there. Like that, to me, is considered a failure.
0: All right, that those are those are those are good answers there. I like those. All right, let's go to the final question. You ready for the final question? Dun 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 dun. Uh, if you could go back in time to let's say your first few months of using Drupal and you could whisper in young Ryan's ear some sage words of advice, what would they be?
1: If this is a brand new site and you have never, ever installed Drupal before.
0: Well, it doesn't have to be related to. No, but that
1: was, that was for me.
0: Oh, okay. I'm sorry.
1: If this is the first time you're setting up this site, Uh do not be afraid to start over that's good
0: yeah i like that
1: delete your database delete your config files and reinstall the thing you've already done it once so the second time you do it will not take as long you've gone down a bunch of rabbit holes i would say drupal 8 and 9 and i guess 10 now make this a less of a problem because in older versions of drupal there used to be like leftover database tables (laughs) <laughs> for years and years and years you would go back and be like this what is this database table doing in my database right what is this config file doing over here like where did all this junk come from right now maybe you still have have those like module files will be in there if you didn't take them out of the composer so like clean up after yourself and don't be afraid to start over if you uninstall a module remove it from your composer file it doesn't take but like an extra one minute 30 seconds to just go back and clean up like and that's that's the thing I could say to myself in a lot of different professional arenas is like <laughs> you may you may be going down a particular path, right? Right. Don't leave 35 Photoshop layers in that file that you're never ever going to need. <laughs> S- save a copy and call it junk. I don't care what you call it, but like, you know, this is project 15 junk versus project 15, the one we're actually going to use. Just just start over. It's okay. Tabula rasa. Clean the slate.
0: That's really that's really good because I when I thought about this question for you, I thought to myself, I don't even know what how I would answer this. But your answer is, you know, I really like your answer because that's actually one of the things that I teach in our beginner class. Is you know I have students spin up new sites almost weekly on their local, and as we do that, you know, I explain to them that you know. Everything on your personal machine, your laptop, you sh- it should be disposable. You should be able to throw out that client, drag that client site to the trash and recreate it and not be afraid of doing that. Yeah. I used to
1: tell people from from a podcasting perspective, like, if you can get to episode six of your podcast, you should consider that when you've actually started it. because putting out one of something, I'm not saying that it's not hard because one of the hardest things to do is to get from zero to one. Sure. agreed. But but once you have gotten past that one, right. And I think a lot of people have the patience and the willpower, especially if it's part of their job to get to one, but the patience and the willpower to get to five or six, there's a different thing that happens in your brain when you go, I can lift 250 pounds one time. Two, I can lift 150 pounds six times. It's a very different activity.
0: And I think the the latter gives you more confidence. I would argue. Exactly say. that. Yep. Exactly that. All right. Well this has
1: been super fun, Mike.
0: <laughs> it's always great catching up with you, whether it's podcasting or not. So <laughs> it's a good excuse to talk to you and hear your voice. Um, yeah. So thanks for joining me, Ryan. I can't wait to hear it. Tell me.
1: I have been a really big fan of this, this particular, um, book. There's kind of two that are kind of related. Um, I kind of think that one of them is slightly better than the other. So it's called the Phoenix project and the unicorn project. Both of them, if you are actually in the IT industry, are potentially very stressful. They're (laughs) sort of like when you read like a murder mystery file and, and you are sort of like putting yourself in the place of the person who was all the bad things were happening to or as you're discovering all the weird bad things that have happened to someone, like some people get really sort of like emotionally attached to the story. So these things are written. It's a novel. So it's it's meant to be like on day one all this bad stuff happened. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of bad stuff happened on day one. But the reason why all that bad stuff happened is because it sort of has to be like by the middle of the, of the project, they've sort of figured out how to deal with some of that bad stuff. But then they realize, like in trying to solve some of their initial problems, they've uncovered new problems they never even knew existed by sort of like entering into this system where they're trying to apply... DevOps practices and agile practices to something, an organization that was really very highly traditional. And you also have to remember that um, the Phoenix project, I think it was written in 2012. So some of the stuff in there feels a little bit out of date. And then when you read the unicorn project, you realize like, Oh, well now they acknowledge that something like Uber exists and, and um, some other like sort of social media things are just more commonplace. And, and uh, etc 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 but um highly recommended reading um will it teach you a lot about starting projects no because a lot of the what they're doing is they're entering into like existing projects or like a project that is already three years overdue and they're trying to figure out how to save this thing but it's a very interesting set of books there um
0: i assume it's the same author
1: same author, I believe it's Gene Kim, if I'm getting it right. right. You can get them in paperback, you can get them um in ebook, you can get them as an audiobook. I've I've read it as an audiobook more than once and I recommended it to many, many
0: people. Yeah, I you know, this topic starting a project is uh it's so important, at least in my head, because I know that I have, you know, in the past started a project, made a mistake early that Maybe not right the time I knew it was a mistake, but maybe a month later, I looked back and said, oh, I should have did something differently and not gone back and corrected it and then regretted it for years after every time I had to work on that project. So I think starting it early, I mean, starting, starting a project the right way early and not being afraid of going back, like you said, Ryan, and fixing those mistakes and taking the time to fix those early mistakes, I think it's, for me, I know, like, I have to do that now. Like, I can't, it, it, I almost become, like, obsessed with fixing stuff that I know is not right in the past, in the recent past, before moving forward. Just because I know myself and how much I would hate it if I had to stare at that particular thing through the lifetime of the project.
1: If I If I could have, like, a a part B of my one thing to whisper to myself, Mm -hmm. and it would be do not be afraid to go to someone else and just ask for help. Just say, hey, person at my company, person in my user group, person on Slack, I have tried these three things that I think are supposed to do this. None of them appears to be working. A lot of times when you are just getting started with something, it can feel really daunting because there's no product in front of you. And getting that product in front of you before you get to the fifth one or the sixth one, if you've never even gotten the first one, because you keep getting these weird errors and all uh, just ask for help. Go do some Googling, you know, go watch some videos, go listen to some podcasts, like take a break, get offline and go find a person. I guess sometimes you have to find the person online, but like, get away from the command line, get away from the from the uh, the Docker window, whatever it happens to be, and and try to explain your problem to someone else. And sometimes the simple act of explaining helps. Sometimes you really need that other person's experience to say, "Have you thought about this thing?" That that other person doesn't even need to know anything about Drupal. Sometimes just a more experienced person will be able to help you diagnose a problem because they've dealt with something similar before. Agreed. It is, a, it is a technique that I use very often. And one of the main reasons why I appreciate having a manager at my work, being part of like that hierarchy structure, you sometimes can wonder like, well, what are these people for? It turns out they're, they're typically at least as experienced, if not more experienced than you. Mm-hmm. And you can describe a problem to them and they'll go like, the problem that you're having isn't the problem that you think you're having. <laughs> Let me tell you about the problem that you're having. Right. And it can really make your day that much better. Your week, your month, your your, you know, year that much better by just saying, this is not that problem anymore. All righty. Well, once again, thank you very much for your time, Ryan. Appreciate it. Um, hopefully uh, people will learn something. <laughs> Send, send us a, send us a little uh, note on the uh, social media. I would say Twitter, but I don't know about Twitter anymore. <laughs> I'm on, I'm on Drupal Slack. Find me on Drupal Slack as a Liberator.